Welcome to Jacqueline Explores, the podcast where we explore science, somatics, and social change. I'm your host, Jacqueline Shea. I am an embodiment coach, facilitator, researcher, and science communicator. After 10 years in public health and health tech, my own trauma healing journey brought me to somatics. In this podcast, I'll share the cutting edge science and somatic frameworks and tools that change my life and will help you feel better, move through stress, heal trauma, and live the life of your dreams. But that's not all. I'll also highlight why and how most individual issues have systemic roots and the social change work being done and needed to create a world in which we can all thrive. Let's explore. Hello. Today's episode is about the nerve that is revolutionizing the field of mental health care um, and has honestly changed how I view my mental health and given me a map of myself that is so liberating. It is the vagus nerve. It is a hot topic and this episode is going to serve as the 101 to really introduce it, um, to give you the framework, specifically the polyvagal ladder. But I first want to explain a little bit about the autonomic nervous system so that you have context. So the autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that automates um, a lot of our core functions. It essentially sends energy and directs the flow of energy for things like heart rate, breathing, digestion. Think autonomic means automatic. You don't want to have to think about your heart beating. It just does. Um, But your autonomic nervous system really dictates maybe how fast it should beat, um, how much resources it needs. Um, although our heart always has resources. Um, And it has two branches. So sympathetic, this is also known as fight or flight, but I would like to challenge us to not use that phrase. I just say it to really orient you. Um, I think of it as the doing, the activation mode. It's like, oh, I've perceived danger. I need to get shit done. I need to run from a tiger. I need to send an email. I need to give a presentation, whatever it is. This is your body having resources ready for you to take action. Unfortunately, in modern day, this often just feels like anxiety or inability to fall asleep or constant stress, like, you know, but ultimately it's our body have in a, in a state of readiness for a response. And then the other branch is parasympathetic, also known as rest and digest baby. So this is when we're not ready to take major, major action. We can get shit done, but like we don't need to you know, fight a tiger. And it's when we are resting. It's when literally we are digesting because guess what? That doesn't happen as well during sympathetic. Um, It's when basically a lot of our long-term systems are really well resourced because we're not in danger. So our body is investing resources in those. Digestion, our immune response, reproduction, cellular repair, like all the good juicy stuff that we need to actually thrive. Um, Sympathetic is like short-term survival. Parasympathetic is long-term investment in ourself. So let's jump to the vagus nerve and then you'll see how this all ties together. 
Okay, so the vagus nerve comes from a Latin root that means wanderer. It is our 10th cranial nerve, and it literally goes all throughout our body. So it innervates our face, um, our ears, our neck, our heart, our lungs, most of our digestive organs, and even touches our reproductive organs. So it really goes everywhere, all, all crucial organs. Um, and it's known as the conduit of connection. So just to connect to your vagus nerve really quickly, if you aren't driving or washing dishes, I want you to place your hands on your cheek and your hands on your heart, your chest, your ears, your lungs, your ribs, your abdomen, and really feel all these places and notice, wow, these are all the places that my vagus nerve goes. Um, what's most notable about the vagus nerve is that 80% of the nerves are afferent. So we have two types of nerves. Afferent send data from our body to our brain and efferent sends it from our brain to our body. And the vagus nerve sends it from our brain to our body, which means we can really work with our body to um, put ourselves into these lovely states. However, the vagus has two branches. So these actually split in our brain. Um, there's the ventral vagal, which is sort of everything from our diaphragm up, and then dorsal vagal, which is from our diaphragm down. Ventral vagal is the one that we think about when we think of parasympathetic. We think, oh yes, I'm calm, I'm relaxed, I'm connected, life's good. Um, whereas dorsal is actually more of a shutdown. So our parasympathetic is not actually just life is good, um, but it's more of the absence of activation. But it has these two categories via the vagus nerve um, to, to help us survive. So I want to introduce, introduce the concept of the polyvagal ladder. And essentially, it's a ladder with three stages. On the bottom is dorsal vagal. And dorsal vagal is when we're in shutdown. It's essentially energy conservation. Um, the middle branch is, is sympathetic, sorry, sympathetic, so activation, mobilizing a resource. And at the top of the ladder is ventral vagal, connection, safety, and presence. And this is our ladder of adaptive survival strategies. So basically, anything you're doing fits into one of these categories. Am I trying to address this challenge through connection and collaboration? Am I trying to address it through active doing? Am I trying to address it through shutting down and avoiding? Um, basically, all of our behaviors can be bucketed into, into these three, and all of our energetic and emotional states can be categorized. These absolutely can be blended and within each there's a spectrum and nuance and like it's not binary, nothing is binary, everything is a spectrum. Um, but ultimately our body learned to have these three broad buckets of response and it's literally correlates with nerves, like, like it correlates with our spinal cord. Um, so let's start with dorsal vagal circuit. So this is the oldest adaptive strategy that evolved in living species. And before we even get to living species like amphibians that have the, the dorsal vagal nerve, 
I want to talk about the fact that energy conservation is the most um, intuitive and basic survival strategy of all living beings. So single cell organisms, what do they do when there's not as many nutrients in the waters that they're floating in? They like stop at spending as much energy. They just float along, you know, kind of turn down the systems waiting until there's more energy. What does so many living species do in the winter? They shed excess, they shed their leaves and they go into energy conservation mode where they're relying on existing resources and they're not really spending energy because their environment doesn't have resources available. Um, they hibernate, they just, they get by until there's spring and resources and then they do and they grow. Um, so energy conservation is truly life, all of life's most fundamental way of surviving and making it through another day, another season, another year. So the dorsal vagal nerve is really how a lot of living species do this. Amphibians, reptiles, and mammals, we all have a dorsal vagal. And it's exactly this. It's conserving resources, it's playing dead, it's immobilization. Um, so if you think about, you know, a rabbit might play dead if a tiger's running at them because that tiger and as I say this, I don't think a tiger is going to eat a rabbit, but just roll with me here. Um, because the tiger might think, okay, cool, that one's dead. I'm going to let that one chill and come back, and I'm going to go chase this other rabbit, kill it, and then I'll have all these rabbits to feed to my cubs. So it's really adaptive to play dead, and actually the, the rabbit might be able to run away, or whatever animal this actually would be. Um, however, in humans, this looks like numbness, um, it looks like disassociation, it looks like depression, it looks like shutting down in an argument where you're like, I can't even speak. Um, it can look like brain fog, just like a deep lethargy, like I don't want to do anything. And this is really our body sensing that like I need to protect myself from what's going on and it's wisest to just pull inward, to make myself smaller. Um, and when, we, when we're in this state, there's actually less blood flow to our brain. Um, and it's it's a way that our body's trying to prevent us from feeling pain. So we actually are less, less sensitive to pain. Now we might feel like we're in pain, um, but it's our brain trying to protect us. Um, and, you know, when we're disassociated, we have literally reduced cognitive function. So it's like really, I want you to think about any time that your brain is anywhere, your brain and body is anywhere on the spectrum of dorsal vagal, it's conserving energy and it's trying to pr protect you from feeling pain. Um, and often we might shut down when we can't address a situation through sympathetic. So, you know, for example, when people disassociate, it's because they learned that there's situations that I can't leave and it's safer to just go inward or to float away or whatever that actually looks like because disassociation can look and feel so many different ways. But it's like, I can't, you know, I can't do, I can't act, therefore I will numb, I will float away, I will learn, I will figure out how to not be here. And... Um, because the dorsal vagal nerves are actually below the diaphragm, it's really interesting that you see it with a lot of injuries and traumas that happen below the diaphragm, such as surgery, sexual trauma. Um, it makes it 
a ton of sense that we that we see that and you know a tortoise is a really great example of uh, a, a species that uses dorsal vagal as their primary adaptive strategy so what do they do in perceived danger they pull their head in they're still they hide they go inward that's exactly what dorsal vagal has us do in the long term this can look like impaired immune function chronic fatigue always having low energy having digestive issues because dorsal vagal um, when it's healthy functioning it's it's supporting our digestion um and the thing with parasympathetic is it's when our um, when it's in ventral vagal, it's when our long-term systems are run and go. But when it's in dorsal vagal, it's energy conservation mode. So actually those, those systems like digestion aren't getting the resources they need because we're conserving energy. So that is dorsal vagal. Numbness, depression, fatigue, hopelessness. When you're in a place of maybe feeling suicidal, you're in dorsal vagal and it's it makes perfect sense because your body is like, this is too hard. I need to conserve energy. And eventually your brain might get to a point where it says, well, it keeps being this way. Um, so all of those make so much sense when that is the primary adaptive strategy that your brain thinks is at your disposal. Let's go on to sympathetic. So sympathetic, um, like I said, is our go. It is when our body mobilizes resources. Um, and energy so literally our heart beats faster we can breathe more deeply and faster glucose is sent out through our body adrenaline and cortisol are pumped out through our body every cell gets cortisol now adrenaline is short term cortisol is longer term so adrenaline might wear off pretty quickly but that cortisol remains so that can actually lead to things like chronic fatigue and pain because your body is adrenalized your body's like let's go and then you haven't gone you haven't done the thing or, or you have you sent the email you had the conversation but your body's still ready um if there's too much readiness if there's too much energy that can look like um a panic attack it can look like overwhelm emotional flooding just like bursting into tears um, at a more subtle level, this could look like anxiety and irritation and just being annoyed and, um, you know, just like, just like ready to fight, ready to go, road rage. Like there's so many different ways that this can look on a subtle level and on a really big level. Yeah, it can look like fighting. It can look like wanting to run away. Um, on a more subtle level, it could also look like fawn. So the whole like oh no worries like whatever you need oh do you need me to do this yeah 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 i can totally do it i can stay late sure yeah even though you've stayed late every day and like you have zero time for yourself like you're ready to respond because you think that that's what's best and what i will say is in each state it is like we cannot even think of the world through a different one so we're, we're we're in when we're in this sympathetic we're like of course i need to do things of course i can't relax until i sent that email if you're in dorsal you're like i can't imagine doing things oh my god there's no point the world's hopeless so each state it's like it's like you glasses that that put it you know dorsal would be like blue glasses sympathetic would be like red everything's urgent you know it's like this is how it is um yeah so even if like even if it actually might be hard to take action we feel the need to take action so we might feel urgency 
Um, freeze is technically between sympathetic and dorsal. So I like to describe it as activation. There's a fire, but there's a sheet of ice over it. So that fire is sympathetic, that sheet of ice is dorsal. And you're like, I feel such an urgency to do things. This needs to get done. But maybe you're like, I have no idea how to do it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared. Ah! Um, if you think about procrastination, it's often a little bit of freeze because you're like, I need to do the thing, but it has to be perfect. And I'm not ready to start. And like, I'm going to feel anxiety about it, but I'm going to keep putting it off because I'm going to avoid it because avoidance is the only strategy I have, AKA dorsal. Um, so just an example of how these things can be blended. And when we're in sympathetic, like we really become focused on, um, what's happening. So like we actually can't hear as many pitches as we can when we're regulated in ventral vagal, like our vision can become a lot more focused. Like we're literally the thing that's stressing us out is like the only thing that exists. Even if like, we don't actually feel like we can take action. Like our body is so it's activated. So there's, I do want to distinguish between like activating, feeling activating and activated and taking action like the you know it can be hard to take action but our body is ready for it and sometimes even when we do take action like sending an email doesn't satisfy your body's um, adaptive response it's not the same sending an email does not do anything for the cortisol that's in every single cell um and i'll also say that when you're in sympathetic you're reading the world through a sense of danger so that means neutral or slightly annoyed facial expressions you're going to read as if those people are mad at you. Um, emails that have maybe a slightly neutral or passive-aggressive tone, you're going to be like, this motherfucker. And you're going to respond feistily if you don't take a minute. Um, but yeah, like some of those more subtle signs are the urgency, fidgeting, even stiffness, hypervigilance of constantly like being on the lookout for like what could go wrong. Are they mad at me? So, you know, I hope what's clear is that there's a wide spectrum of like full, you know, fight or flight. Like um, you hear gunshots and, you know, like something where it's like a very like 100% of you is flooded by this. And something that's more subtle of that daily type of stress that often we experience and that is just subtly shaping our worldview and is like this undertone. So... It's a spectrum, but let's move on to ventral vagal, and then I'll, I'll kind of try to explain how all these tie together. Okay, so ventral vagal um, was the most recent to evolve. So these are hierarchical, you know, dorsal was first, and then sympathetic, and then ventral vagal. And so this is our parasympathetic nervous system. It is our upward branch, so um, the vagus nerve that innervates face, neck, ears, throat chest, lungs, and all the organs above the diaphragm. Um, and what's really important to understand um, is that it's not yet myelinated at birth. So ventral vagal is all about connection and safety and belonging. And yet it's not yet fully formed when we're born, especially if we're born early, if, we're, if someone's premature, but even if someone's, a baby is, you know, right on time as far as, you know, 39 or 40 weeks, um, it's not fully myelinated and it's not until the end of the first year of life. And so everything we experience the first year of life influences how we perceive safety, connection, 
and belonging. So when we're in ventral vagal, we feel safe and connected. We feel, you know, I mean, maybe it's like calm and content. It doesn't necessarily have to be like peak joyful experiences, but it's that like, I have enough, life's okay. Um, It's when we're in those moments of feeling connected. It's when we're able to collaborate with others in a way that actually feels good and it doesn't feel stressful. Um, It's when we're really able to not just be rational, but creative. It's when we're able to love and feel love, really receive it. Um, And ultimately, connectedness is our biological imperative. You might even think of ventral vagal as the compassion nerve. So for humans, connection equals safety. I will definitely do an episode on this, but loneliness, our body perceives it as danger. If we are severely isolated and lacking real meaningful connection, it doesn't matter that we might be literally safety safe. Our body thinks we're in danger. So ventral vagal is really, really important because um, it's not just the absence of safety, but it's the, pre- the, the presence of, of connection. Um, and it's really, we're in a state where we can be, where we can have reciprocity. So we can actually listen, we can actually be in tune with others. Um, and we can really perceive signals. Yeah. Not just of safety, but of connection. So, you know, some of the ways this could look is calm, happy, meditative, engaged, attentive, active, interested, excited, passionate, alert, ready, relaxed, savoring, you know, it can look a lot of different ways. Um, but really ventral vagal is the state in which we can thrive. Um, so I want to talk about how these kind of fit together. So first and foremost, they are all brilliant adaptive strategies. There is a time and a place for each of them. They serve us well when we need them. So if you're in a car accident, and you need to get your kids out of the car and you're on the side of the highway and you need to run to safety and there's gas leaking. Oh my fucking God. Yeah, you want to be in sympathetic. You really want to be in full sympathetic so that you can respond. And oh my gosh, it's so good. Your body is flooded with stress hormones so that you can get your children to safety. Um, Or, you know, something there's a crisis at work and you need to handle it. Yeah. You want to be able to take action. If your body was like, it's no big deal, but it actually is going to really impact people. That would not be great. Or there's times when we've, it's been too hard for too long and our body's like, I need to rest. That makes sense. There's many times where we actually can't exit a hard situation. And so it's so brilliant that we disassociate. And honestly, even though I do want us all to feel more, there's a lot of hardship in the world. And, you know, we being fully open to it 100% of the time, ooh, that would be exhausting. Um, so it's not that any of these are bad or good. Sympathetic's not bad. Dorsal's not bad. It's that we want to be able to use them when appropriate. Um, if, 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 if our ventral vagal was able to be fully myelinated and we haven't experienced a ton of trauma, then we might first and foremost try to problem solve from a ventral vagal place. So, you know, for example, maybe a coworker hasn't done the thing that they said they were gonna do and you're like, you can't do your job until they've done that. You might follow up. 
you might send an e- a ping, an email, and she's like, hey, you know, I'm wondering when you're going to be able to do this. Do we need to shift timelines? Do you need any support? You know, I can't do this until you do that. Let's, let's problem solve together. That would be how you might respond from ventral vagal. If we drop into activation because maybe they don't respond to her email or they're just like, I'm busy, sorry, then we might send a really aggressive email. Per my last email, you're incompetent, blah, 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 blah. We might just jump into doing it ourselves. Be like, well, they're a fucking idiot. No one, no one does their job around here. I have to do everything. You might talk shit to a coworker. You might send a company-wide email being like, nah, 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 nah. Right? Those are examples of what you might do if you were in major activation. Maybe a more subtle one would just be that, you know, yeah, the talking shit to your coworker. And you might just be fuming. You might just like feel stressed all day. And you might be like, I fucking hate my job. Those are examples. It's a spectrum, always. Now, if that doesn't work out, you might start avoiding this person. You might start to feel shut down in conversations with them or if they're in a meeting or you might begin to resent this project and this person and just start to like shut down, numb out. After work, you might just be like, dude, I fucking hate this job and just drink a bottle of wine. And you're like, I don't even want to talk about it. Let's binge watch The Last of Us. Like I just need to distract myself. Those are examples of the hierarchy and how often we will start with a, a social engagement and collaborative and communicative way of problem solving and then go into an, an activated, like, let me do something. Um, it feels urgent. I have to do something, even if that's just gossiping, to a, like, I have to shut down. And it also, you know, we often ping back and forth between these two. So if your job, if you're in sympathetic all day, it makes a shit ton of sense why at the end of the day you're like, I need to numb out now. That was way too much energy. Now I need to conserve energy. Um, however, some of us some of us don't actually spend a ton of time in ventral vagal, especially if we experience childhood trauma, um, especially in that first year when our when our ventral vagus nerve was being myelinated, being fully... Um, uh, my, my, myelination is when you know fatty fatty tissues are wrapping around a nerve, which can speed up the connection, um, so that it really works efficiently and well, and can quickly shift us from activation to connection. Rather than have it having it be an all or nothing, it can be more nuanced. You're able to like only slightly get activated. Um, so we we actually might struggle to really stay in ventral vagal. We might spend most of our time in sympathetic and we might ping pong back and forth between sympathetic and and shut down which is how I spent many years and especially if you are numbing out in in the evening it makes sense why there's a ton of activation that happens during the day because you're like I'm not resourced enough for this um so it can be really hard when we're not experiencing safety and connection often also, one thing I'll say is it's it's a ladder. So coming out of shutdown often means moving. We have to move through activation to get to ventral vagal safety. And sometimes that looks like it's like when you finally go to journal about the thing or you, you finally talk to a friend about it and you just start crying. 
that's amazing. That's actually beautiful. We want that. Tears are always welcome in my book because they are a way that we mobilize and move through energy. So never shut down tears. But don't be surprised if when you finally let yourself feel and be with energy that's present, there's more of it. That's a good thing. So how can you move through it? Um, And before I talk about, well, yeah, let me just jump into like what to do in each stage. Um, Do I want to do this? Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to give you like the broad strokes of it. This is actually very nuanced since each one is a spectrum and it's kind of hard to explain these in depth over a podcast, but here we go. So in ventral or sorry, in dorsal vagal shutdown mode, I want you to think about three things that you can orient to, Mm, maybe four. So the environment, get you out of yourself to your body, get you actually more into yourself because you're often in your brain and numb to your body, orient you to safety and if possible to connection. So examples of ways that you can orient to the environment, um, a classic go-to is the five, four, three, two, one. So looking around, what are five things I can name? A plant, my couch, if you can get really descriptive of like my pink poof thing that I sometimes sit on, my black cat named Penelope. Um, Four things that you can hear. So I can, or sorry, it's actually four things you can touch. You can get creative with these though. I don't, I actually don't really care which ones you do. Some are, you know, harder than others. (laughs) Um, Four things you can touch. I can touch the armrest of my chair. Can you really feel it? Even better, can you describe it? I can touch my mug. three things you can hear. So I can hear myself talking. I can hear a dog barking outside. Can you play with the distance too? Um, Two things you can smell. (sighs) Often I'll sniff my coffee. And then one thing you can taste. My tongue tastes like coffee or I might drink something. And for this, if you can really let yourself drop into, like you're looking at something, can you really see it? Take your time with it. The slower you go and the more you connect with each thing, the better. So that's one way. You can also just like pick a color and be like, okay, what are five pink things in my room? I have a lot of pink. So I would name my walls, that picture. Again, like really, and then like four blue things. Um, another way is to go for a walk, get outside. Even if it is kind of extreme weather, extreme cold or hot, that's actually gonna help get you out of your, out of your head. Um, and similarly, really attend to your environment. Can you really see here? Can you really feel what that air is like on your skin? Um, And even if it just provides you a moment of not being in your head with your brain saying everything's awful, everything is awful. Amazing. We're really, we're looking for moments of ease here, not for one big dramatic like, aha, now I'm out. Um, Okay, so body. So what I think about here is ways to bring yourself into connection with your body because you're in shutdown mode and that means to some degree your body is protecting you from feeling. So... You can caress your body, gently caress and touch your arms, your face. You can literally just tap on your body. 
do this, you know, your entire body, especially parts that are numb and really like imagine that you're just sort of like shaking and awakening all your cells and tissues. What does it feel like? Can you really get curious about what it feels like? Notice what places are numb. That's okay. We're not forcing them to not be numb. That's not what we're doing here. We're just trying to bring ourselves more in relationship to what's here. Um, Deep breaths can also really be supportive. So, you know, whatever is possible, but you just want to lengthen the exhales longer than the inhales. Maybe four in, six out. Two in, four out, whatever. Um, We also want to cultivate a sense of safety. So things like saying, I am safe. If you can touch yourself while you do this, even better. So maybe you're tapping, you're saying, I am safe. I am safe. Hands on heart while you say this. Oh, so good. Could even be saying like, I got you. I got you. And then lastly is connection. So maybe it's a phone call with a friend. Um, There are chat lines. If If there's not a loved one you can talk to. If in-person connection is possible oh my gosh hug someone and like hug them for 10 seconds see if you can cuddle platonic cuddling is so supportive just talk about and establish that like this is not romantic this is platonic touch Um, we're touch deprived and touch is how we experience safety and connection remember how babies that's when we're learning safety and connection yeah what's happening they're being breastfed, they're being held by their parents. Touch is connection and safety. So those are just a few kind of categories and ideas, but I urge you to explore this on your own. Get creative. Try some of these things when you're in mental vagal. Try them when you're just slightly stuck. Try them when you're in full shutdown. See what works. And again, don't expect to be fully regulated. Be okay and celebrate those micro moments of softening and thawing. It is those micro moments after micro moments. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, I feel better now. Or maybe it is just small thawing out. And that's beautiful. Like we're not rushing this. You cannot rush this process. So please celebrate and honor the small wins. Okay, so if you're in sympathetic and you're not too overwhelmed again sympathetic is activated energy readiness to respond i want you to move that energy okay so let's talk about how to know if you're overwhelmed so this is going to be things like you can't stop crying or you're just you you don't even feel like like you're so flooded with energy that you're like i can't even think straight i want to fucking murder someone like if this person was right here right now i would tear their head off yeah that's flooding um, so with that, if you're, if it's too big, too much, I actually want you to do things that are going to bring it down just a little bit. I don't want you to fully bring it down because I want you to actually move through it, but things like hugging into a pillow, free writing to get some of it, some of it off. Like how can you help contain it a little bit and get a little bit of it out? So then once it's more doable, a more right size energy, you can move through it. And to move through it, you could literally shake your body. You could sigh. You could dance. You could run. You could punch a pillow and scream into it. You could do a high-intensity workout. You could tear paper. So how we move energy, it's almost infinite. Crying is a way to move energy. 
Um, shaking is my go-to when I'm like, I don't know what I need, but I need something. Um, what I want you to do though is when it's not too much, too overwhelming, I want you to move the energy because guess what? Every cell contains that cortisol and adrenaline and it's going to continue to contain it unless you move the energy. And if you don't move the energy, it's going to be tension and pain. Um, So try different ways of moving the energy. Just try. And ultimately the goal is to get into back, back to ventral vagal where we can feel safe and connected. And so try different things. Get curious about what supports you in different stages. Um, And also get curious when you are in ventral vagal, what helped you get here? What helps you stay here? What things facilitate you being present and calm and in connection? Now, all of this is work that takes time to unfold. So I just introduced a lot of concepts to you. I hope it's helpful. I genuinely want to hear what questions you have. So please reach out and I'll certainly be unpacking these concepts more. I'll hopefully provide more um, practices for you to use. Um, Yeah, that's the polyvagal ladder. And so if there's any key takeaway, I would just say start to notice where you're at on the ladder, what it feels like. And slowly over time, practice shifting out of that ladder or mm, not shifting out of the ladder. Try different things that might help you shift where you're at on the ladder, but not with the pressure to shift. Trusting that you move throughout them and that's beautiful and brilliant. All right, friend, that's all I got for you now. I will definitely be discussing this more. So I really mean it. Send me feedback, send me questions, send me comments. All right. I hope you have such a great day and wishing you ventral vagal goodness. Bye for now. All right. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed what you just heard, found it valuable and want to keep exploring with me, please click follow. To help others learn about this, make sure to give me a five-star rating, write a review, and share it with all your people. To learn more about my work, go to JacquelineExplains.com and sign up for my email list so that you can receive life-changing somatic practices in your inbox. See you next week.